Okay, let's get ready for the radical transparency episode. Great. I've been thinking about this for a while. Where should we start? Well, not so fast. Before we get started on this, I've got 18 points of developmental feedback to give you from our last conversation. And I want to start with that annoyingly breezy tone of yours. Okay? Okay. Paul? Welcome to Decision Nerds. I'm Paul Richards. And I'm Joe Wiggins. In this podcast, we analyse decisions, where they can go wrong, and how we can make them more effectively. We talk with researchers and industry experts about the art and science of understanding human behaviour. If you want to understand yourself, your team, or board better, there's something here for you. Today, we're going to cover something that's got a lot of press coverage over the last couple of days, and that's Ray Dalio, Bridgewater, and its culture. None of us will have escaped the attention that was given to Dalio and his ideas after the publication of his book, Principles. And this was a book that documented the key ideas that dictated how he ran the firm he founded and what we could all take from it. To me, the book was a combination of supremely practical ideas on decision making and how to run a firm to ideas around culture that were distinctly different from the norm, ideas such as radical transparency. Now, that book helped seal his place in the firmament of investment giants and and actually in broader business discussion. He appeared absolutely everywhere. But now the publication of another book called The Fund threatens to reverse some of that, shining an unsanctioned view on the alleged darker side of working at Bridgewater. Uh, And yes, for the lawyers, I said alleged. Now, as usual, we're going to look at the details, but then try and zoom back and see the big picture lessons that we can learn. So, Joe, set the scene for us by giving us some background on the book, The Fund. Sure. So The Fund is a book written by a journalist called Rob Copeland, and it's just been published, as you say. And it shines quite a savage light on the alleged underlying goings on at Bridgewater. Now, why is this interesting? I think because Bridgewater had something of a cult-like quality with a charismatic leader in Ray Dalio and some philosophies around culture such as the notion of radical transparency that have almost undoubtedly had an impact on people's idea of what an effective culture looks like particularly within the asset management industry. Maybe this is the way we can generate returns in a manner similar to Bridgewater. One of the critical problems of the industry however I think is when you have a star fund manager um, with a fantastic reputation for delivering high returns there becomes sort of an acceptance that the policies and practices of that firm are necessarily fantastic. And why wouldn't they be? Haven't you seen the the results that they generate? And this is almost always, to my mind, deeply flawed thinking. And Copeland's book, which Dalio, to be fair, describes as an inaccurate tabloid book, shines a light on a culture that is at times petty and at other times outright horrendous. There's an awful description of when Dalio eviscerates a pregnant senior female team member in front of the rest of the team, calling her uh, a dumb shit amongst other things until she broke down in in tears. And if true, this is objectively hideous behaviour. But I don't actually think it's that unusual in terms of how people use power and the power that they hold um, and then justify their behaviour through these ideas such as radical feedback or radical candour. Uh, and that can create like bullying and toxic environments um, and strong performance and charisma can allow them to to get away with it. So many things that we could focus on, um, but I suggest we focus on three things. Firstly, the role of feedback and what can go right or wrong. Secondly, I think this issue that you've highlighted about how power operates in that structure. And lastly, I think 
how we can design for humans and deal with individual differences. So let's kick off with feedback. And one of the key issues that Bridgewater focuses on is feedback and a culture that supports giving, in inverted commas, constructive feedback. And that seems sensible. So let's try and refresh ourselves on why that is important. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's a really obvious point, but feedback is important for a number of reasons. It's really important to help us understand how we're progressing relative to expectations and crucially, where we need to evolve to meet our short-term goals and our long-term potential. And I think feedback is particularly important in our industry because it's so complex, uncertain and evolving and no one can know everything. And in particular, we want to help our junior colleagues grow and succeed. And often that's where feedback focuses. However, it's important for everyone from the youngest analysts to leaders and the CEO. And I feel in many ways, it's actually far more important for leaders to get good feedback because of the impact that they have in terms of either how they set the culture or the strategic direction of the firm. But as you touched on, there's often one feedback rule for younger people and one for those in power. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I think it's fair to say uh, that giving constructive and positive feedback and indeed receiving it is is quite challenging. And I, I suppose all of us will have difficult feedback experiences through our through our careers so what makes it so hard i think it's probably a combination of things i think the first one is is socialization i suspect most people growing up have heard something along the lines of if you can't say anything nice don't say anything at all it's one of the things that can often be driven into us culturally I think the second point is that that, that we're humans and most of us, uh, maybe apart from some of the sociopaths, have got innate desires to be liked by people and not have them be angry with us or ruin relationships with people. And whenever we give developmental feedback, that risk is there, no matter how well-intentioned it is. And the risks obviously become larger when we provide feedback upwards. Not only is there all the potential emotional fall out on that then there's all the other careerists that's come to it risk to promotion compensation which are things that we all think about yeah i've certainly experienced a lot of those issues when being involved in feedback situations through my career how did bridgewater try and solve this problem and, and do you think it worked well, I think if we look at the the long-term history of Bridgewater, and to be fair, I've followed them for a while. They contacted me about working for them, I think, back in 2006, 2007. And there was already, before the book was published, you could find on Bridgewater's website the, you know, the origins of principles. And I think as I read them back in the time about thinking about working there, I looked at them and thought that, okay, here is someone who recognizes all the challenges of learning and growth. And I think what happened was that Dalio tried to create a culture and systems that would try and get around these issues. However, I think it's a little bit like communism. Often when we first hear about it, it sounds fantastic, equal outcomes for everyone, etc. But when you look at the practical disasters that have hit any society that tries to implement communism, I think it's kind of the, the same way when you think about a culture that tries to eradicate the, the humanity out of humans by creating structures like radical transparency or tools like Dot Watcher. Again, for people who aren't aware of it, it was a, a simple tool where people could be rated live at any particular point in time when people had gone wrong. Um, 
you have a videoed session of uh, analyzing your mistakes, uh, often quite harshly, as you've alluded to, that everyone else can see. And I just kind of think that that can work for some people, but it won't work for most humans. Yeah, this idea of radical transparency is it's closely intertwined, I think, with the notion of radical candor, which is a type of feedback. And conceptually, it's the idea that you provide direct and honest feedback, but in an environment of trust, which to my mind is great in theory and often terrible in practice. And there's a nice example um, in the book, one of the inherent problems of this type of concept and where it goes awry. Uh, so the book states that uh, Dalio asked employees to rank one another in terms of believability as a way of identifying investment talent. But when certain staff members started to be ranked higher than Dalio himself, what happened? Uh, well, the system was adjusted to make Dalio the baseline for believability. So he was always superior to others on that ranking. And that example gets us to one of your main gripes about radical transparency and candor, this problem of power dynamics. How do you see that? So this is a, a topic I get a little bit grumpy about um, because I think it's used in certain ways by people in power in ways that are not beneficial to the, the people who, who work for them. So I think most behavior can be reasonably confidently predicted once you know who holds the power in a situation and what their incentives are. And this power dynamic is incredibly important when thinking about feedback and radical candor. And what I've tended to observe is that these radical ideas of feedback are used by the person who holds power to provide some pretty um, some pretty brutal commentary on the, the actions or the performance of other people who are subordinate to them in the organization, often as a way to cement their own position. And they can legitimize that kind of toxic behavior by saying, okay, it's, it's, it's radical candor, it's radical transparency, it's just, a, it's just a HR policy, it's good, it's a good type of feedback. And that power dynamic almost always only flows one way. It goes from the person in power uh, to the people in the organization who don't have power. So people in power delivering withering feedback to subordinates, but not being keen to hear anything come back the other way. So if done badly, I guess you see these ideas of radical transparency and candor as ways of exploiting or exacerbating existing power dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Let's think about the types of people who often rise to power in organizations. It's often those who are incredibly ambitious, overconfident, maybe even with psychopathic tendencies. Um, are these the types of individuals who are likely to engage in a positive relationship of, of two-way feedback? I would say almost certainly not. <laughs> no, uh, I think potentially a lot of listeners are, are nodding at this point. And, and so it seems to me listening to this, it's about a system Again, let's use that communism example that theoretically may have some attractions, but it's just very difficult to make work in practice, given how humans are and organizational structures are. So let's think about how we can design more broadly for human nature and perhaps take into account the individual differences that we have as humans. Sure. So, so where do you think, Paul, that Bridgewater got it or get it wrong? So I actually want to start where they got it right. Um, thinking about this episode made me revisit principles. And I actually still think there's a lot of practical wisdom in there. I think as humans, we tend to generalize an awful lot and 
Ray Dalio and Bridgewater would have been heroes at the point of principles is publication. And now the fund is out, then everyone's going to throw um, some shade at them over this. And I think that we shouldn't overly generalize and throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's still some good things in there. If you do want to create a unique culture, somewhere like Bridgewater is the place to do it. It's a relatively small organization that has an absolute ton of resources. And at its height, you had real kudos for working there. So you could create a funnel of uh, amazingly talented employees. You have the potential to attract that small subset of people who have the type of inner workings where that culture might work for you. However, money and prestige have the power to stop people being honest with themselves. If I think about it from a 30,000 foot culture perspective, to me, the core problem was that Bridgewater was in some cases trying to design the humanity out of humans. And the bigger your organization or team, the less control you have over the ability to do that, the more you need to think about the generalized needs and problems that humans have. Indeed. So so where should we start with that? So at the conceptual level, I suggest that we first think about human universals. We all want to belong. We all want to be accepted. And then we need to think at the micro level, the teams or the boards that we actually work within. And we should start with the particular people around the table. Who are they and what do they need? We know that people are different. Do you think there's anything in particular that we should be thinking about? Yeah, well, aside from the issues of power, the other major problem I have with these radical solutions is they totally ignore individual difference to my mind there is no one size fits all approach to dealing with individuals motivating them or getting the best from them or indeed making them them happy there are certain types of people for whom receiving radical candor working in, in environments of radical transparency would work well for them they enjoy that kind of frank honest regular feedback often harsh feedback but there are plenty of people who would not thrive in that environment Let's talk about ourselves here. Are you talking from personal experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've, I feel these issues a bit more keenly um, because I'm naturally an introvert with pretty low self-confidence. So receiving harsh or radical feedback would almost certainly make me feel terrible. And that doesn't mean I don't want feedback or transparency for it to work for me, for it to be productive for me or whoever I'm working with. It would need to be delivered in a, in a different way. I think part of the skill of a leader or indeed a HR policy or a firm culture, is being able to create an environment where different types of people can thrive, uh, different types of people with different wiring, different motivations. And these grand radical ideas almost never achieve that. Yeah, I agree. And I understand those tendencies you mentioned, and I share some of them. So let's try and finish with a simple practical solution to make developmental feedback easier. Something that I developed many years ago is a feedback profile. It's a manual of me that helps people understand how to give you good feedback so they're not worried about impacting the relationship. I'll I'll leave a link in the thinking behind it in the show notes. And for anyone who looks at it, I've put my feedback profile in the example if you want to give any feedback to me on this episode. So Joe, like you, I'm human. I want to belong and be valued. And when I get stuff in inverted commas wrong, I feel bad about it. And I'm totally happy to admit my failings and and learn and change. But the key thing for me is that I need to feel that the person who's giving me that feedback wants to help me actually do that, that it's not a power play or a chance for them to vent their feelings or impose their views on me. And if people are doing that, it really is the miracle key 
to unlocking me and getting me to change. And I think that's probably going to be true for most people. Indeed. And that seems like a good place to finish. Okay, cool. Recording off. How do you think that went? I thought it was good, but Jesus, what was all that hippy-dippy stuff at the end? This is a decision-making podcast, not a love fest. And we really need to talk about that breezy tone. It gets right up my nose. Mm.